Today on Locked On Mariners, I tag team with a co-host for the first time in 211 episodes. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. I am indeed D.C. Lundberg, your semi-capable host of this program, becoming less and less capable by the day, I'm afraid. Uh, So I'm going to have some help presenting today's episode of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download, rate, and follow this program using whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any of the other great shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network, or as I like to say, T-L-O-P-N, or Tloppin', of course. I'm sure, gang, that you have noticed uh, that my grasp of the English language is very much beginning to ebb over the last few shows, so I have my personal secretary here with me, Clive Braithwaite IV, to help me out with uh, parts of the show. Clive, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be able to help out. I really appreciate it, Clive. Uh, we'll get you on at the end of the first segment. Uh, gang, we'll begin with the news that I think we all knew was going to come to pass, but also we were hoping would not come to pass. And uh, that is uh, following the second opinion that James Paxton got on his hurt arm on Monday, he is going to have season-ending surgery. It may not be Tommy John surgery, however. Either way, his season is finished after a mere one and two-thirds innings in his only start. Not the way this reunion was supposed to go at all. Very unfortunate. I'm disappointed, very disappointed, and I'm guessing you listening are also very disappointed. Unless you're an Orioles fan listening to this program to see what I'm saying about the O's, I do the same thing from time to time, check in with the other locked-on shows, um, again, uh, you know, of the opponents that the Mariners are facing. Anyways, uh, Maple was on a one-year contract, and he plans on rehabbing to be ready to pitch next season. No one is sure where that will be at this point, obviously. I have no idea whether or not uh, the Mariners would uh, look to re-sign him for 2020. 22. I think it depends on how the pitching staff performs the rest of the way out this season. We obviously hope that Naples' surgery goes well well, and his recovery is successful. And we hope to see him back on a Major League mound at some point next year. Honestly, whether that's in a Mariners uniform or not. And I have to admit that it was weird seeing him out there without the number 65 on his back. Even though that's a uniform more befitting a player who was a spring training invite. And I, I guess I more or less got used to it. It was slightly jarring seeing him with Paul Sorrento's old number. And for my colleagues on the other show that I've done, I'm not allowed to mention the name of it on the air. That was for you guys. Y'all know who you are. Also, on Monday, Anthony Masevich was placed on the injured list. Here's where I get lost, however. He was not placed on the 10-day injured list, nor the 60-day injured list. And he's eligible to return as soon as he's able, and the team is not allowed to comment on what specifically happened to him. Gang, I have no idea what circumstances led to this. I didn't even know this was legal, quite honestly. There is a COVID IL, but players who land there are usually announced to have done so, so I doubt it's that. I'm as lost as you probably are. I hope we find out what the hell is going on at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. 
Eric Swanson was recalled from the taxi squad to take his place in the bullpen, and he was ready to go for Monday's game, which did not happen until Tuesday morning as part of a doubleheader. We'll talk about uh, the individual games in B Block and C Block today, a switch from the usual format of recapping the games right off the bat. But since a lot of roster news broke Monday, I thought I'd start with that since I, I like to go in chronological order. There's also an update on Kyle Lewis, and this one's a happy one. Manager Scott Service called Lewis's return during the next homestand, quote-unquote, very realistic. Not a sure thing at this point, but that sounded very promising. He's working at the alternate training site as of current. The alternate training site is at Pink Cellular Company Field, uh, just for your information, instead of instead of Cheney Stadium where it was last year. And Service indicated that, quote, He's moving in the right direction. He's starting to get at-bats, so he'll get some timing down and things like that. He hasn't really gone full out testing in the outfield yet, but he feels fine, end quote. That tells me that upon his return, we could see him DH a little more often than we're used to to allow him to ease back into things. I'm assuming Braden Bishop will be the one sent out upon Lewis's return, which leaves Taylor Trammell on the Major League roster. Tram has been playing center field in Lewis's stead and doing a really good job. Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty are both capable of playing center, though they are both infielders by trade. But they do have options out there. I'm also wondering if they may play Lewis in left and keep Tram in center for a game or two so that Lewis can regain his footing in game action on defense. Don't read anything into that. It's just me trying to trying to think of all the possibilities. I haven't re- read a report or anything like that uh, on that subject. We will uh, talk uh, more about the first game yesterday in a bit, but here with today's trivia corner is Clive Braithwaite the fourth. Thank you, sir. Today we have a whole pass. Today's subject played 20 seasons of Major League Baseball as an outfielder, starting in center and later moving to right. He played in the 1990s, 2000 aughts, and 2000 teens. He had a career slash line of 279, 350, 486. He collected 2,725 hits, 565 doubles, and 435 home runs. He stole 312 bases, with four seasons of 30 or more, and two seasons of 40 or more. He had four seasons of 30 or more home runs, with a high of 41. He also had 11 seasons of 30 or more doubles, with a high of 44. He was a nine-time All-Star, a three-time Gold Glove Award winner, a two-time Silver Slugger, and collected MVP votes in seven seasons placing as high as fourth. Do you out there think those numbers are worthy of the Hall of Fame? We'll tell you who it is after this word from Built Bar, the best protein bars on the market. They're high in protein and fiber, they're also low in sugar and calories. Each one is gluten-free, and the nut-free varieties are all produced in a nut-free facility. Each and every one of them tastes great a soft and easy to chew without a gritty or chalky texture. Go to BuiltBar.com to order some of these great bars for yourself. You can even put together a box of the flavors you'd most like to try, or your already established favorites. DC just bought some, and he chose peanut butter brownie, mint brownie, and raspberry as his flavors. He was disappointed they were out of raspberry cheesecake. 
but in any case, if you use promo code LOCKED15 at checkout, you'll get 15% off your order. DC found out that LOCKED20 no longer works, so the code is LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, to get 15% off your order. Built Bar, the breakfast of champions. With the conclusion of today's Hall Pass, back to DC Lundberg. Thank you very much, Clive. Do you out there in podcast land... Thank you very much, Clive. Did you out there in podcast land figure out who that player is? And based on those numbers, do you think he should or should not be a Hall of Famer? I will say that it is someone who is not yet eligible for the Hall. This was Carlos Beltran. He had a very long Major League career and a very productive one. He had a better career than I think most people realize. He began his career with Kansas City when the Royals were just awful, so that may have something to do with it, and then he spent a long time with the Mets. Coming up, would justice prevail at Camden Yards? Would justice be top shelf? Coming up, would justice prevail at Camden Yards? Would justice be top chef? And how long will I last before having to throw the whole show over to Clive? Now back to Locked On Mariners and your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, J.M. Ladies and gentlemen, get all the sports news that you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. That's right, gang, our local experts, including me on occasion. I think I've been on one episode, and that was uh, in a recording. I wasn't live. In any case, follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. In addition to the roster shuffling and injury updates we spoke about uh, in the first block, as Tuesday was a doubleheader, each team was allowed one extra player. The Mariners recalled Sunshine Superman, Donovan Walton, to fill this role, although he didn't get into either game. Also, the Orioles flip-flopped their planned starting pitchers. Dean Kramer was was scheduled to pitch Monday's game, but he started the second game of the double dip, while John Means towed the rubber in Game 1. The Mariners stuck with its original plan of uh, pitching Justice Sheffield for the opener and Nick Margevichis in the second game. I'll be back to wrap up uh, this game a little later on, but to set it up, here's Clive Braithwaite to the fourth. Thank you, DC. In addition to Donovan Walton joining the team as the temporary extra player for the doubleheader, Evan White was back in the lineup. He was also in the originally planned starting lineup for Monday. In the first game, he batted 8th instead of occupying the cleanup spot, which he has done most of the season. Luis Torrens was the cleanup hitter in Game 1, and was the team's designated hitter. Scott Service has not been afraid of playing both of his catchers in the same game, with one of them DHing. The M scored early in this one, with Ty France putting the first run on the board with a first inning solo homer. It was a change up pretty much dead center and kind of a long pop-up which kept going and going until it landed about three rows back in the left field seats. Remember that Baltimore has something of a small ballpark, and it's known for allowing home runs which would not leave the yard in other parks. But regardless, the M's took a 1-0 lead very quickly. 
leading off the top of the second, Means made another mistake out over the plate, this time a fast ball to Tom Murphy, who made him pay. Another solo home run, but this one was no cheapy. It was cranked out to deep left field, and the Mariners now led 2-0. Following a Taylor Trammell flyout, which could have easily been a base hit had DJ Stewart not made a great play, Evan White walked, then J.P. Crawford singled on a slider at the bottom of the zone. That brought up Mitch Hanager. After working the count full, he grounded a fast ball at the belt on the outside half of the plate to the second base side of shortstop past Freddie Galvis to bring home White with the Mariners' third run of the game. Had it not been for Stewart's play on Trammell's fly ball, it could have brought home two runs for a 4-0 lead, but a 3-0 lead in the second inning is certainly nothing to sneeze at. Means largely settled down after that, and retired the M's in short order in the third, fourth and fifth. With the rest of the game recap, I turned back to this show's ordinary host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you, Clive. Justice Sheffield was very good in this game, a far cry from his first outing against the White Sox. He didn't allow a base runner until the fourth, thanks in part to a great play by Kyle Seeger in the second, but the fact remains. Sheffield walked Cedric Mullins to lead off the fourth after Mullins had worked the count four. That was the first base runner. He was quickly erased on a double play, however. Uh, Sheff ran into a little trouble in the fifth, though. With two out, he walked DJ Stewart on four pitches, then hung a sinker to Ramon Urias, who took the ball the other way for a home run, dunked just over the right field wall. Sheff winds up going six innings, allowing those two runs, both of them were earned, on only three hits, two walks, that lone home run, and he struck out five. He threw only 77 pitches, but still gave way to Rafael Montero for the seventh inning. Remember that since this is a doubleheader, the games are seven innings long, uh, in regulation at least. Montero did get the first two guys, but then allowed a double to Ryan Mountcastle on a slider at the bottom of the zone. DJ Stewart was next, and he laced a ground ball double the other way to left field to bring home Mountcastle with a tying run. This was Montero's third blown save in five chances, but in his defense... The pitch to Stewart, which brought home the tying run, was actually a pretty decent pitch. It was a slider at the bottom of the zone, spinning away from Stewart, just off the outside corner. Sometimes you just have to give the hitter credit and move on to the next man. However, Rio Ruiz walked, but Freddie Galvis then popped out to end the inning with a 3-3 tie, sending yet another game into extra innings. This is the M's third extra inning contest already. The free runner for the M's was Mitch Hanniger, and leading off with that was Ty France. As much praise as we have thrown France's way on recent programs, he did the worst possible thing he could have in this situation. He struck out. I still would have liked to see a sack bunt, maybe bring on Donovan Walton off the bench uh, to do that for you, but you have to at least make contact, make the defense do something, at least give Maniger an opportunity to advance to third, maybe even score. Kyle Seeger was the next hitter, and he got France off the hook. Tanner Scott hung a slider to him, pretty much center cut, and Seeger took it into the right center field gap off the wall. Maniger came in with a go-ahead run, and, a, and that 4-3 score would hold going into the bottom of the eighth, which was entrusted to Kendall Graveman. Graveman made pretty pretty quick work of the O's, retiring them 1-2-3, earning his first career save. 
Gang, I'm beginning to think that uh, Montero might not be closer material. It's early. <laughs> it is early. But I'm beginning to be a little concerned. Montero's not a prospect. He's 30 years old, and he's been in the league since 2014. So there's no waiting for him to develop like, the, like there is with some of the young starters. I also realize I may be overreacting a bit. It is early. And again, Montero was not that bad yesterday. He ran into some hard luck. That pitch to Stewart, which which tied the game, really was not bad. That's one that's usually going to be grounded to the third baseman or missed entirely. That said, he's blown more saves than he's earned. Two saves versus three blown ones. If Montero cannot hold down the Ford as the closer, I think the M's have some pretty decent options to, to try out if they feel the need to make a change. Kendall Graveman looked good. He might be able to be a really good closer if they want to try him in that role uh, to give Montero a breather once in a while or if they want to move Montero out of that role entirely. I don't know. Uh, offensively, the Mariners did most of their damage early, and it was another game in which they struck out a bunch too. 10 Ks for M's hitters, and this was against a pitching staff which is honestly not very good. M's only walked twice as well with Evan White and Seeger drawing the lone bases on balls. They've usually shown a bit more patience than that. And against a pitching staff like Baltimore's, you have to make them throw strikes. And I'm not sure the Mariners really did that too much in Game 1. But a win is a win, for certain. And we'll talk about Game 2 in just a bit. But first, if you have a question or a comment, send it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. Clive will read it on the air, and I will offer a reply. Questions and comments on any subject are welcome and encouraged, and it doesn't even have to do with, doesn't even have to do anything with baseball. Coming up, what did Sam Haggerty do in Game 2 that had only been done by one other Seattle Mariner? I'll give you a hint. It involves a fastball on the inner half of the plate and Utah. Now this from Bet Online, uh, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football's over, college basketball's over, men's world curling championships over, but the women's are coming up. NBA, NHL, MLB, all in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Or since Clive is here today, I'll say mobile device. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Promo code locked on. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Here once again is your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you again, Joey Martin. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be a waiver wire winner, and who doesn't, frankly, then you've got to listen to the Locked On Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is daily, hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead you to league wins. Follow Locked On Fantasy Baseball on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. DC Lundberg back with you talking about uh, yesterday's doubleheader. Clive Braithwaite, the fourth, is also here co-hosting with me since uh, I'm not, again, feeling like myself today, unfortunately. After the uh, extra inning uh, win in Game 1, the M's sent Nick Margevichis to the mound to try to sweep the double dip. The O's sent Dean Kramer to the mound, who was Monday's scheduled starter. Evan White sat out Game 2, and Jose Marmalejos played first base in his stead and hit in the cleanup spot. 
Neither starting pitcher was very sharp. I'm going to let Clive take over for a bit. I'll be back uh, later on to wrap up this game. I want to talk about Telegram Sam. But in the interim, here is Clive to talk about the first parts of the game. Go for it, sir. Thank you again. As DC said, neither starter was on his game in this contest, although Nick Margevichis was pretty good in his first two innings. Dean Kramer also had strong first and second innings, though he started to show signs of wildness in the second. Both starters fell apart in the third. After allowing a single and a double to Sam Haggerty and Mitch Hanniger respectively, Ty France walked on four pitches way outside the zone to load the bases for Kyle Seeger. Seeger brought home Telegram Sam on a sacrifice fly, bringing up Jose Marmolejos with two runners on. After working the count full, Kramer caught too much of the middle of the plate with a cutter at the bottom of the zone, and Marmo was able to dunk it just over the right center field wall for a three-run homer, and the inning had gone pear-shaped very quickly for the O's, who now found themselves down for nothing. But they'd reversed their fortunes in the bottom of the frame, and treat Margevichus as badly as the M's treated Kramer. Although the M's defense helped out a bit. With one out and Freddie Galvis on first, a tie France fielding error allowed DJ Stewart to reach base and advance Galvis to second. Anthony Santander was then hit by a pitch to load the bases, prompting a visit to the mound to settle down Margot. He got Tremoncini to swing at strike three, but Michael Franco ripped the first pitch he saw down the third baseline, scoring all three runners. The throw home to get Santander was a bit offline, and Santander knocked the ball out of Torrens's glove, allowing Franco to get to third. Torrens was charged with an error, which he didn't earn in all honesty, but the way baseball is scored, you have to account for Franco getting to third base somehow, as he took third on the ball squirting away. Margot really seemed out of sorts by this time, and the next batter, Ryan Mountcastle, brought home Franco with the tying run on an RBI single. Both halves of the third inning were disastrous for the pitchers, and Dean Kramer was relieved in the fourth following a less than stellar outing. The M sent Margot back to the hill for the fourth, but it was clear that it just wasn't his day. His ordinarily good command eluded him, and Bill Kruger commented after the game that his pitch selection was poor. He threw 67 pitches, and only threw first pitch strikes to six of his 18 foes. After chance Sisko led off with the single, Margot walked Freddy Galvis on four pitches. Service had seen quite enough, and brought in Will Vest from the bullpen. Vest didn't seem to have it either, and his command was also somewhat erratic. Cedric Mullins drove home Sisko and Anthony Santander brought home Galvis on a sack fly. The Orioles had a 6-4 lead, which held until the top of the 7th. With the rest of the game plus his thoughts, here's DC. Thank you again, Clive. I want to mention something about Vest. Service going to him in the 4th inning with a tie game, 2 on and no one out, shows me that he's got a lot of confidence in that young man. It's rare to see a Rule 5 kid leaned on so much, so to speak. His first outing was a bit shaky, but he's been very good since then, and he's been a part of a lot of ball games. And he wasn't at his best here, though. 
Eric Swanson, on the other hand, looked really good. His command was sharper than I think I've ever seen it, and he uh, utilized a much better breaking ball than I remember. And is it just me, or does he look slimmer? Whatever the case, uh, he looked good. And also remember that he's a former starter. I'm wondering if the M's would think about stretching him back out if they need another starter. If he continues to pitch like he did yesterday, I was very impressed. I was also impressed with Sam Haggerty, but we'll get to that in just a second. J.P. Crawford uh, led off the eighth inning with a ground ball single. I think he's starting to get his timing back as well because he's looked a bit better as of late. That brought up the aforementioned Telegram Sam, who represented the tying run. During the at-bat when I was watching the game, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if he hit a home run here to tie the game? Then I quickly dismissed that notion and once again thought to myself, DC, don't think that. Now that you've thought about it, it's not going to happen. Telegram Sam's not that type of hitter. Well, guess what, gang? Well, I'm actually sure you know what happened. He cranked an inside fastball at the belt on the inside corner over the right field wall, over the concourse, and out onto Utah Street, tying the ball game at 6-6. This was the first home run to land on Utah Street this season, the 107th overall since the ballpark's opening in 1992, the 59th by a visiting player, and only the second by a Seattle Mariner. The only other Mariner to hit a home run out to Utah Street? That would be none other than Ken Griffey Jr. Bragging rights for sure for Telegram Sam, whose bat started a little slow this year, but he's also been picking it up as of late. And man, is he fun to watch run the bases. Anyways, he ties the game, the O's go back to the bullpen, and the M's score no more. A little bit more on that situation here in a little bit. In the bottom of the seventh, Casey Sadler's brought in to try to send the game into a, into the second consecutive extra inning game. He uh, pretty quickly gets two outs, but then walks Michael Franco, or Franco, I guess. Ryan McKenna then grounds to the first base side of the pitcher's mound. Sadler ranges over, gets the glove down, but closes his glove too early. The ball slides by him, and McKenna is safe. This should have been the third out of the inning, and we should have gone into an eighth inning. But alas, the frame continued, and when you give any team extra outs, they generally make you pay, even a subpar team like Baltimore. Not only that, Sadler uncorked a wild pitch to advance both runners, and Baltimore took full advantage of those miscues. Ramon Urias uh, grounded sharply up the middle to score Franco, ending the game with a 7-6 score. Gang, games like this are very frustrating because the mistakes were really inexcusable. While Margevichus did not have his command, the defense made you know, key errors which led to runs. That cannot happen. Ty France made an error in that third inning which uh, helped out the Orioles, and he's not exactly a gold glover out there at second base, but he's also not terrible. But he's made two errors already this season. That's kind of alarming, especially since he's not the everyday second baseman. This was only his fifth game at second. In a doubleheader, you kind of have to make do to be able to you know rest your players, so I don't think Service had much choice but to start France at second base. Both corner outfield spots were occupied by middle infielders, while Hanniger DH'd, but France does not play the outfield, so Service's hand was a little forced in that regard. I'm not the biggest fan of France at second base, but again, he's, he's not going to hurt you all that often, but I think he did today. 
You know, and another thing I want to mention is the top of the seventh. After Telegram Sam tied the game, Mitch Hanniger singled against a fresh relief pitcher, Cesar Valdez. Following a tie France strikeout, both Kyle Seeger and Jose Marmalejos turned in what I thought were very frustrating at bats. They both tried to pull pitches on the outside corner at the bottom of the zone, and they both grounded into the shift very predictably. With the whole left side of the infield open, and with those pitches where they were located, they should not be trying to pull the ball. A ground ball down the third baseline would have surely gotten them aboard and you know maybe even advanced Maniger to third that would have changed the complexion of the whole inning even if Maniger was only at second base setting them up to perhaps score more than the two that they already had I cannot tell you gang how frustrating it is watching a left-handed hitter try to pull pitches on the outside part of the zone like that what the hell do they think they're going to do with those pitches it makes no sense to me gang Anyways, this was a tough loss. It was a team loss, and it seemed so preventable. Or at the very least, allowing the winning run in the bottom of the seventh seemed very preventable. That error was just sloppy defense on Sadler's part. There's no excuse for it. On the positive, the M's only struck out six times and took advantage of a pitcher with control problems in the third. And Eric Swanson looked great. But overall, this was a very poor effort for the Mariners against a team which is not very good. These are the types of teams you need to take advantage of, and I don't think the Mariners did that today, aside from the third inning and Telegram Sam's at bat. Uh, anyways, I'm sorry to end on such a negative note, ladies and gentlemen, but that will be all for this one. Next show is likely going to be Friday. I very much doubt there's going to be an episode tomorrow, especially especially if I'm feeling like this again. If that's the case, I'll talk about the next two games on Friday, and I'll move tomorrow's scheduled guest over to Friday's show. Those guests are Lori Partridge, Woodsy Owl, and a Strawberry Banana Smoothie. Clive, thank you very much for coming in at the last minute and helping me out today. My pleasure. Hope you feel better tomorrow. (laughs) Me too. Uh, thank you out there in podcast land for listening to, the, to today's show. Please remember to download, rate, and follow this program. Look for us on any podcasting app that you can think of. And I wrote it out this time in my script since I forgot since I forgot what I was supposed to say on yesterday's show. I've only been doing this for over a year. You'd think I've had this stuff remembered by now. I actually do, but then again, <laughs> especially based on my performance today, you can tell I'm not feeling like myself. I'm rambling again. Sorry, gang. Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show, as sloppy as it was. I hope you'll join us for the next one. Take care. This is Joey Martin for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.